Hi, I'm Catherine. And I'm Gail. And welcome to Women Over 70, Aging Reimagined, our weekly podcast. Our signature is sharing stories of vital women 70 to 100 plus who shatter the myth that women become irrelevant as we age. We appreciate your support. Join the Aging Reimagined Circle at womenover70.com and promote your book in Books by Women and invite us to speak to your organization. And today we're delighted to be talking with Mary Isabel Osriel, age 78, from Baltimore, Maryland. Mary Isabel was referred to us by another guest, Karen Bennett. Mary Isabel is the author of four books of poems, and in her 60s, she wrote the libretto for an opera, which has been performed in Los Angeles, New York, and Tel Aviv, Israel. Mary, Mary Isabel is publisher and co-editor of Passenger Books and Passenger, a national literary journal featuring the work of older writers. She teaches poetry workshops and finds that writing poetry is sustaining during her own times of grief and grieving. Nearly 40 years ago, Mary Isabel trained in Feldenkrais, which she says changed her life, and she's been doing the work ever since. She has a daughter and a son in their 50s and three adult grandchildren. Well, welcome, Mary Isabel, to Women Over 70. Thank you. It's wonderful to be here. Together. We're happy, happy to have you. Well, let's start by having you give us a glimpse into your own writing journey. When did you start writing, poetry especially? Um, how do you go about that? Why it's important to you? Hmm. Well, I, I always wanted to write storybooks since I was a child because I loved books so much. Um, and I wanted to write the kind of books that, um, that other people would love the way I love books. And I kept on trying, but I never knew how to end a story because the only ending I could think of that seemed realistic was death. Um, so, <laughs> but writing poems came naturally um, somehow. I don't know why, but it, and so uh, poetry was what I wrote since I was seven years old. And mm -hmm. there was hardly a, hardly a hiatus. I mean, there was one period and I don't understand why it happened, but poetry just disappeared for seven years. Um, it was right after I got married, which I don't, mm -hmm. that may have been, and finished college, but, uh, but somehow as mysteriously as it went away, it came back. So I've been doing that ever since. And um, uh, I took my poem writing really seriously when I was a little kid. I, uh, my, my mom used to read me, she used to read poems to me before I could read and I just loved them. Mm -hmm. uh, whether I understood what they were saying or not, I just, I love the sounds and the surprise and new ways of seeing things. Um, I love to say them out loud to myself, even nursery rhymes, limericks, funny kid poems. Um, my, my mom even read me something from, from J. Alfred Prufrock, T.S. Eliot's poem, mm -hmm. when I was way too young to understand, but I still remember the feeling of awe. It was this image. Um, the evening is spread out against the sky like a patient etherized upon a table. I just thought that was amazing. Mm -hmm. um, so 
anyway, I would write in bed at night by the hallway and, and um, I would make up poems and <laughs> I found one that I wrote when I was nine years old where I said, um, I live to write my poetry. And oh. as an adult, uh, I, I thought that was kind of funny, but it was really true. I just, I felt that way. And, and I wrote my first um, sort of grown-up poem, I guess you'd say, when I was 15. Um, and if not, then when? I, I, I often, um, I've noticed over the years that if people are ever going to write a poem, they do it when they're teenagers. Is that right? I guess yeah. I lost out on that genre then. <laughs> so, Mary, Mary Isabel, you're the author. You have you've published four books of poems. When did when did you start pub publishing your work? Um, well, uh, I started. Pub I had my first poems published in serious literary journals in my late twenties, and I had some good success early on, and then. Um, my first book in my 30s. Uh, and um, I gave readings and, and things like that. Mm -hmm. um, I didn't go, I went to, after college, I lived in Amsterdam. I, I got married right away, I was 20. And I went to Holland and I was painting when I, 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 I went away from words for a while and was painting, but um, I came, and finally, when I was 30, I got up my nerve to go to the writing seminars at Hopkins. Mm -hmm. um, I had been sort of intimidated about writing with other writers and being, you know, critiqued and all that. But it turned out to be a great experience. We were all, you know, we were all older and we, we were really good to each other. We helped each other a lot. And, um, uh, and then I went went on and taught poetry workshops for poets in the schools in Maryland and uh, poetry writing workshops at Hopkins for continuing studies people, mm -hmm. um, people in their 30s through their 70s. And that was the dream job of my teaching life. Mm -hmm. um, Are you still teaching? poetry? Well, COVID, I, oh, you know, I kept going and going because I every year I would before we started again, I'd say, oh, maybe I won't do it because I get, you know, I didn't know who was going to show up. And, but it's, it was always great. Mm. So I didn't know how I was going to stop, but COVID made that decision for me. Mm -hmm. um, we, had, we had just had our first session, and it turned out that time it was all women. And the, the way everybody bonded that first night was just over the moon. I mean, it was fantastic. Um, and at the end of the class, somebody's phone went, mm, mm, and uh, she said, oh my God, I don't want to spoil this vibe, but Hopkins is closing down um, tomorrow mm. because of COVID. Mm. Um, so I kept go. I kept, I said, don't worry, we can do this online. Um, so we didn't do it by Zoom, but because I didn't, I was a little wimpy about, I, I just, I'm always a little unsure with technological stuff. I get it after a while, but 
But I said, I will send you, I'll send you what I would hand out every week. And you all can read each other's online, respond to each other, talk to each other on the phone, whatever you want to do. Um, and, but I said, I'm not going to do that part. I'm just going to send you the prompts. And then if you want to have a conference with me, we can do that over the phone. Mm -hmm. So I kept that going and that was really good. Um, but that was the, you know, that was the end of it. And, uh, I still mentor some of the people, a few of the people who wanted mm -hmm. to stay with me and work. With mm -hmm. me. So Mary Isabel, you shared, um, some poems with Gail and me that you wrote during a particularly dark period in your life. Um, can you tell us about that? Well, uh, yeah. The, um, yeah, I was, I was married just out of college. I was 20. Um, and had a pretty good marriage. I never wanted to be married to anybody else, but, um, when I turned 60, my husband surprised me, um, or I found out anyway, that he was seeing somebody else. And um, I went crazy with grief and anger and said, you know, you, we have to make this better. So we stayed together and worked on it for a while, but um, he kept on breaking the deal. And so I, I was just furious and um, he left, well, anyway, he left. I, I was in the, never mind. It's, <laughs> that's more than you want to hear. No, maybe, but anyway, uh, he left and I was, sh I was really shocked and confused <laughs> and lonely. It, it was very disorienting. Um, the last time I'd been single, <clears throat> really, I was 17. Hmm. So uh, 40 years did I do my math correctly? You were married for 40 years? We were married 40 years, and I, he, I was going out with him for a couple of years before mm. that. Um, so, uh, Would you read the, the poem, The Long Marriage? Oh, Would you read yeah. that for us? Okay, sure. <clears throat> okay, the long, yeah, the long marriage. For their 40th anniversary, he got himself a girlfriend, 20 years younger. It's such a cliche, the wife, her hair gray, her aging face, the terrifying mirror. If he looks, he will grow old, he will die. She's a good person, he says to his girlfriend. We have a lot of history. She's a good person, he tells his wife. We both wanted this, he says, <clears throat> giving her the news that he's part of a we that she isn't. Like a woman at gunpoint, she thinks, this isn't real. She steadies her voice, asks questions quietly, not to scare him, not to shut him down. He answers each question, his facts make a story but something important missing. His mouth is a tight, twisted line she's seen somewhere on a face, not his. Hmm. Wow. When I read that poem, 
Mary Isabel, I, it, it just res, it resonates, although I didn't have 40 years worth, but it's just, it's so, um, make, it's so vivid. So I don't know what else to say. It's just so and, real. <laughs> yes, you can feel like you're right there with, with you in the feeling that you're having at that moment. Mm. Well, that that was the that was the first poem I wrote when he left. Mm -hmm. um, and at that point, it was I was still writing in the third person. I couldn't. There was no I in this poem. It was mm -hmm. she and he. Um, and I realized that in the later poems, as I really came to live this new life I was having, which turned out to be a, a mixed bag of awfulness and amazingly surprising, terrific experiences. Mm -hmm. um, but but these, these poems are all from the time when, you know, it was still very difficult. Mm -hmm. um, but I did begin to write right away in the first person. Um, and, so uh, did, um, at, at what point did you be, um, get, become trained in Feldenkrais? With okay, well, <clears throat> that was in, I, I, I found out about it in around 1990 or so. Or it might have been even before. The, no, I, got, I did my training, you know, I can't remember the year exactly. <laughs> but I, I, I had read about this person who found a way to, to um, Moshe Feldenkrais, who, who found a way to, um, it's, it was, it was an article called teach, or it had the subtitle, teaching the body how to program the brain. Mm. I thought that was really interesting. And I, um, yeah, I was in my late forties. So it was in 1990, I read about it. So I, I started taking classes. I found a woman who taught it in my and my somebody I knew actually, um, and so I started taking awareness or movement classes. I don't know if people will know about Feldenkrais, but um, it was it's it was a way it, it was a revelation to me because I learned how to find my own best my own best way to move. Mm -hmm. And you know, not there was you weren't imitating a, a model like when you're watching the yoga teacher t twist herself or himself up, and you're not trying to be good at it or the best. You're just trying to find your own way to comfort and ease. And it's it's a brilliant it, it's a brilliant way to work. Um, and it changed it just changed my relationship with so many things. Um, I'd always felt like I had to be good, you know, good, really good at things and the best. And, um, and this was, a, this wasn't about that. It was about finding your own best way. And, and you learn how to let go of unnecessary effort, you know, you, you learn to try in a way that's useful. And so it, it changed the way I, Adapt well the way I walk, the way I sit, stand, dance, play, playing with my little grandkids who are now in their twenties, um, <laughs> hailing a taxi in New York, <laughs> um, turning around to look behind me when I'm driving, and 
even I found leading writing workshops, um, which was surprising. But uh, how did it how did it influence you in in leading workshops? Well, I realized. Wait a minute! I'm not here to be the expert, have all the answers, mm. say everything right. I'm here to create a space where people can be themselves and relate to each other and learn from each other. And um, it was it was so wonderful. It was the best kind of teaching. Um, and and I, I um. Yeah, I saw Feldenkrais uh, master for many years here in Chicago, and I have a very similar response to it. I have just tremendous respect for it because I, it was the only thing that's actually helped me listen to my body. Yeah, that's and um, and I had to learn. She taught me how to walk, how to walk, how to be a notice how I walk and yeah, sit and ride a bike and get out of bed and yeah. Yeah. Well, well, I came to Chicago where I did my training in Chicago. Oh, okay. The training was like 800 hours over spread out over four mm -hmm. years. And, mm -hmm. Oh, so do you, I love Chicago. Yeah. <laughs> Come visit us. <laughs> We're here. We want you. <laughs> <laughs> right. I, um, Mary Isabel. Yeah. I'm I'm curious to know you we were lucky enough for you to show us the cover of the passenger journal that you publish or you co-publish. Can can you tell me what's the mission of Passenger and and uh tell me a little bit about it? Oh sure. Yeah, well well Passenger uh Passenger the first issue of Passenger came out in 1990. That was a big year for good things happening apparently. Um and it was uh, Kendra Kapelke, who's my co-editor there. I, I hadn't met her yet. I met her actually. She had the the first issue in manuscript form. I met her at a conference just by chance. She was taking it to show it to somebody. So, um, but when it came out, it was she she had taught she had taught a writing workshop at a retirement in a senior center in Baltimore. And she was so amazed at what she saw there that she said, people just don't realize these are really old people and what they have to offer is amazing. And so she was teaching at University of Baltimore in the creative writing and publishing arts program. And um, she was young. I mean, she was in her twenties or something. She was really young, but she decided she wanted to start a journal um, for older writers. And actually at the beginning, it wasn't even necessarily older writers. It was, um, but it gradually, it got to be more specifically for writers over 40, writers over 50. Mm -hmm. um, but there, it was, you, you know, ageism in this country is, um, it still exists. I mean, it's getting better as they're more active and dynamic visible visible older people around but um in the arts it was a problem too like in so many places um where you know if you were the young and upcoming person you were this was hot and 
everybody wanted to publish you. And a lot of the first readers for literary journals were young people. Um, and so, you know, they were less likely, maybe, uh, and this is a generalization, and of course it's not always true, but um, they might be less likely to get it when they read something, not just poetry, but, you know, pro, you know, short stories and memoir by older people. Um, so anyway, so I, I was really excited about it when I met Kendra and um, because all the isms just drive me crazy, but ageism, I was, I was just starting to feel it a little bit myself um, as a woman in, you know, getting close to 50. Uh, where there was a little bit of feeling of invisibility, which was seemed so absurd to me because I had such a dynamic, my mother was such a good, really good role model for getting older. And she she was not going to be overlooked by any means. <laughs> and and my grandmother too. So I was surprised by it. Um, but uh, anyway, so, and Kendra and I really clicked. And so you know, I joined her and um, so we've been publishing, you know, and it was important to have a beautiful journal to show res respect. And the, fir the first few, the first issue, the first few issues, <clears throat> I think we had one poem that came in by a 90 year old woman that her daughter had sent. And we were thrilled. Um, and <laughs> over the years, the writers that we publish have gotten older and older. The last, I mean, 70s, 80s, 90s, and over 100. We, we've published two books by people over 100. We, well, we started publishing books after a while. First, it was just a journal for a while. Then we started publishing books because of an older woman whose book we wanted to publish. Um, Jean Connor, who just died at 103, um, but she was 86, I think, when we published her book, and um, or 68. I know she was 68. That's right. And she had. Um, it was a gorgeous book, and people just loved it and loved her. And um, so, anyway, but the writers have been. We. At our 21st anniversary, we published an anthology called Burning Bright um, of poems and stories and memoir from all the years we'd published so far selection. And at that, when we did, when we did that book, it was almost half of the writers were in their 70s, 80s, and some in their 90s. Mm. So. I'm, I'm struck by the name Passenger. <laughs> right. Well, as Kendra says, I didn't really mean to make something up that was going to just confuse people so much because we always have to explain it. But um, I, can, I, can I read you this funny letter that we got? Um, this, I, I will read. I will just, um, <laughs> yeah, a woman who we published this is from March 9th, 2020, okay? From a woman named Jean Esteve. Dear Passenger Editors, it is with great pleasure that I submit poems to you again. Back in 1990s, 
in the 1990s when I was still a twerp in my 70s, I was overjoyed to have a few pieces of my writing published in a new magazine with the strange name of Passenger. <laughs> but apparently not too strange to flourish, for I'm happy to see that the magazines continue to bring joy in so many to so many of us, blah, blah, blah. Um, she turned to painting, but and found a gallery, and now I found I was itching to write poems again. So it is in my 90s, so it is in my 90s, and now on a computer whose school marm smeller keeps, speller keeps trying to change her name for me, <laughs> I'm happy to submit again to Passenger. Most sincerely yours, Jean Estee. So she sends us another poem. Okay, so Passenger, Kendra made up the word. Um, it was to suggest going through the, pa the passage through life yes. um, and having been around a long time. And, um, and so there, so that's what it was. And people Beautiful. still call us passenger. They call us passager. Why do you have a French name? Um, but <laughs> we, we're sticking to it. <laughs> Maybe it'll get to be a word in the language. <laughs> it says a lot, the name. Yes, it does. Yeah. So, Mary, uh, Mary Isabel, how, how do you think about your own aging, if you well, think about it? Well, like I said, I, I, did, I had good role models. I, um, I think about it, well, I don't want to die before I have a chance to clean up all the mess around <laughs> all the stuff I have. <laughs> Not, I don't mean tidy up, I mean put things in order, but no, that's, I'm being silly. Um, it's so far, I mean, I think if you're healthy enough to not be suffering, um, and I knock on wood all the time, I can't help that, but yeah, so far so good. Um, I think it's pretty good. Um, <laughs> a lot of this, a lot of the stuff that was so tormenting before just isn't anymore. Um, and we hear, you know, it's a thing I hear a lot from other older people. You know, you, we just, maybe it's, maybe it's just that the filters get thinner, but we all feel like we can say whatever we think. We can be who we ever, whoever we are. We're not trying, we're not competing anymore. Um, if that was a problem um, when we were young. I know my, my partner, my, who for the past 10 years, John Wise, who's an artist and designed the book, my book, and we did a, a gallery show, an amazing show, a series of things during COVID that I could talk about if there were time, but there may not be. Um, but anyway, we were talking about how Cause he's seven, I'm 78 and he, wait a minute. Yeah. I'm 78 and he's 79. Um, and uh, we were talking in this last collaboration about how, how much fun it is to work now when you're, mm. you're kind of out of the competitive flow and you know who you are and you, you've done what you do for a really long time and you, you've gotten good at it 
and you know when you know what's good and you know what's not good. Um, so, and in terms of other things, I mean, I think Feldenkrais was big has been a big help mm -hmm. um, just to, for physical ease and um, and I like seeing the young. I really like seeing the young ones, my grand, you know, my grandchildren and other youngsters. I, mm -hmm. I worry a lot about the future, but you know, it's these are tough times, scary times. Indeed. Um, do you um, so? Do you and John have a website together? Yeah, we do. Can you we, tell uh, us what what is yeah. what is that? Okay. Um, well, when we published, when we did, he, when he designed the Divorce Poems book and we, we published it ourselves, we wanted a name for our press and we called it Dogbone um, because that's a word around here when, you know, when you just can't let go of something, you mm -hmm. just go Dogbone. So, <laughs> so, so we called it Dogbone. So the, our website is Dogbone, all one word, lowercase dog bone arts with an s on the end mm -hmm. dot com it's a wonderful website so i i just i really recommend it to to everyone to go to check that out um can you share one more poem poem with us and before we have to close okay well let's see um yeah, I do write, I've been writing back and forth with another older, uh, another a cousin, Judith Azriel, who's a poet and lives on the West Coast. Mm. And um, she and I have exchanged poems back and forth for years. We've got, and we've been doing, we started one, one series on the January 1st, 2021. So, um, I guess I can't find one so easily. A rainy day bird love song. I don't even know. Why don't I just read it? I don't even okay. remember. This, <laughs> this okay. was March 17th. My eyes have been open since before the dark thinned a bit to let the first tiny tweep in. Another miraculous awakening in me, still having ears to hear it. And now, by noon, in the misty green, all the birds are talking, signaling each other with the urgency of spring. I'm here, I'm here, come here, come here. How I wish you could hear what I hear. But all I can do to be with you is go out walking in the gray green day, glad for the silver mist droplets strung on every twig and quiet my busy brain and be in wordless love with birdsong. Oh. <laughs> that, that is just a lovely, lovely way to, to close our conversation. And, and it just, it just um, says something about the, the gratitude that you've talked about and so many of the women we we interview, talk about gratitude and and finding the the real pleasures in age growing older. And yeah, yeah that's that's beautiful. Thank you. Oh, you're mm -hmm. welcome. Well, it was fun to it was fun to read it knowing you you and you two were listening. So <laughs> <laughs> thank you very much, Mary Isabel. Uh, oh, well, thank you both. And um, this yes. was fun.
And listeners, please take a moment to subscribe to our podcast wherever you listen and leave a review. Visit our website, womenover70.com to access all of our episodes and easily search by name or category. Join us on the first Tuesday of every month to enjoy programming beyond the podcast hosted by Aging Reimagined Circle, our sustaining membership fund. Membership information is on our website, womenover70.com. See you next Wednesday on Women Over 70, Aging Reimagined. Thank you.